Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Hey, hey, welcome to Private Club Radio. It's good to have you. On today's episode, we're going to peel back the curtain on what it's really like to be inside a boardroom, contemplating your options, having to make the tough decisions to move your club forward, to preserve your club, to make sure it stays relevant for the next decade and beyond. We're joined by Peter Nanula on this episode. Peter is going to also tell us about the Club Corp deal for all you folks who were wondering what happened there. You may have heard Concert Golf was in talks with Club Corp to buy their portfolio of clubs. You'll find out what happened there for the curious. And we're going to have two gentlemen from The Fountains, a country club down in South Florida, talking about what it was like to go through a capital injection process with Concert Golf Partners. I think it's absolutely fascinating discussion that we have today because you really feel the rhythm and the passion that happens inside of a boardroom. And I don't think you get that anywhere else unless you're literally inside of a boardroom. This is your next best option. (laughs) So I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Peter Nanula and Fountains Country Club. And now it's time for Board Chats, presented by Concert Golf Partners. A behind-the-scenes look inside real boardrooms with special guest Peter Nanula. Welcome to another edition of Board Chats, where we chat with actual board members of equity member-owned clubs. We're going to talk real-world experiences in the boardroom, dealing with board strategy and management issues. It's your behind-the-scenes look into the boardroom. It's brought to you, as always, by Concert Golf Partners, who bring capital and club hospitality expertise to preserve and enhance private clubs for the long term. I'm joined, as always, by Peter Nanula. And Peter, first question for you. I want to talk to you about this Club Corp deal. What happened there, man? Yeah, yeah. Sorry to uh, throw everyone a curveball, but uh, Club Corp approached us earlier this year. The concept was to create an elite clubs division together. It just didn't come together, as we all hoped. Um, you know, we make a lot of written commitments to our members, and we have to make sure those are going to be honored. Um, you know, there's always price and terms and softer issues involved in these kind of deals. It, it just wasn't the right fit. Um, so that'd be on both sides. And they've had some management change and probably different strategy discussions at their company as well. But good news is we haven't really missed a beat. I mean, it was a distraction for a few months, but our, our 18 clubs are ahead of our business plans this year so far. And we're adding another great new club in a couple of weeks. So knock wood, no more of that, but, uh, Onward and upward. Yeah, well, it's it, you got to be true to yourself, and it sounds like you guys did that in this scenario. And so, uh, my hats off to you guys, and uh, you know, giving it the old college try. But sometimes it just doesn't work out. Exactly. Now, I'm really excited to speak with a couple uh, board members from the Fountains Country Club. That's a new acquisition from Concert Golf Partners. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Jeff Hamburger and Paul Knapp. I'm going to give you guys their bio here. So, Jeff Hamburger is a financial advisor in New Jersey. 
He's the board president at Fountains Country Club. He's been the board president since 2016, and he actually ran the process of getting new capital into the club. Now, Paul Knapp is the former CFO of Miller Brewing in Milwaukee. I was actually up in Milwaukee when I was speaking to the CMAA Wisconsin a couple months ago and got a tour of the facility. That was really neat. He's been on the board at Fountains since 2016. He was also part of getting the new capital into the club. So, gentlemen, welcome to Private Club Radio. Thank you. Hello. Good to be aboard. Hello, Gabe. Yeah. Well, my first question I'm going to direct towards you, Paul. I'd love to get a little taste of the history of Fountains and, and what makes your club so special and so unique. Well, the, the Fountains started in the early 70s with a uh, private developer. And he, uh, he developed uh, basically 18 holes to start and had another nine holes later on. And uh, eventually, in the early 80s, he went bankrupt. At that time, the club was, uh, was doing very well. And several of the members got together and, and, and bought, the, uh, bought the club out of bankruptcy. During that time, they also uh, enjoyed the club so much they uh, they uh, bought some land to the south and added another uh, 27 holes to make it a 54-hole facility through the 80s and uh, all the way into uh, into the uh, 2010s, 2015 up through 2016, I believe. So the club uh, initially started very very well. It was uh, uh, predominantly an all-Jewish club. Um, that changed in the late 90s to early 2000s uh, to where uh, all members are, uh, are accepted. And, and <laughs> I'm actually a testament to that, uh, uh, being uh, non-Jewish. At, at, uh, at one point in time, they actually arrested me, a Polish kid from uh, Wisconsin, president of the club so uh, it was very accepting of all people and uh, and we had very very uh, good membership our membership was our key uh, during the the early 2000s around 2003 uh, the club uh, went to mandatory membership um, which basically said anybody who buys a property in the fountain, needed to be a, a member, uh, otherwise they couldn't buy. Um, that went, went well during the boom time in Florida. But as almost all clubs in Florida found out, when the real estate crunch hit, mandatory membership didn't work so well. Right. We found uh, we were losing members. Uh, home prices were low. Uh, and they were so low that people who who could afford them, couldn't afford to be a member. So our membership dropped, our club was aging. And in the uh, 2012 to 2016 range, we found we were in a, 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 a vicious circle, if you will. We still had a great membership. We still had uh, people who cared about each other. But uh, as we lost members, the burden on the members remaining got higher and higher and higher. So a lot of them, uh, as they were aging, couldn't afford to be members anymore. Again, that was a, uh, a, a circle that we had to get out of. And uh, the board decided at one point in time to try to, to close a golf course, which we did. We didn't need uh, 54 holes. 
And then we tried to sell some of the land to local developers, which basically was, uh, was a good plan. Unfortunately, we didn't have the capital or the, the uh, uh, horses to pull it off. Um, as we were trying to sell the land, uh, we, we went further and further into the pockets of our members, which again got, uh, got them more upset. Um, in 2017, I believe, uh, we gave our club members uh, two options. Uh, basically, try again to, to sell the land on our own and go alone or go with concert golf. And uh, I believe it was 97%. Jeff, you might correct me on that. Voted in favor of going with awesome. concert golf. Um, and which which then allowed our, uh, several things that uh, are great benefits to our members, um, which are one concert golf has eliminated mandatory membership, which has uh, uh, raised the prices of our homes, uh, they greatly reduce the dues, and uh, uh, I'm sure Jeff can explain to you how exciting it is uh, going to your members and say you're raising the dues by five or six thousand dollars and having them truly, truly enjoy that, uh, not, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, uh, uh when we talked about concert golf and talked about the reduction in dues, uh, uh, Jeff actually got some applause as he mentioned that, which was great. Um, since then, since we voted to sell to concert golf, uh, concert has come in, and uh, um, in, in my estimation, they've done a great job. But I think I think Jeff could uh, uh, could really. Uh, add on to that, uh, how, how the members stand after concert golf took over. Yeah, well, well basically, uh, we had a, a core group of members who were not originally in favor of us going with concert golf because uh, they, they wanted to remain a upscale private club, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, we were looking at going to 27 holes, moving the clubhouse. We were looking at all kinds of uh, avenues, but unfortunately, we didn't have a good relationship with our bank. Uh, and we had always had a great relationship. Matter of fact, at one point, the bank said they were our partner. Uh, and we were switched to another relationship manager of the bank. And when we said, well, we need this help to get through so we can do the get, get the real estate deal done, the response we got is, well, we're not your partner. We're your lender. And they, they started putting roadblocks in our way and basically delayed our deal to close with, uh, with the real estate developer we had found so hopefully give us the capital we needed to move forward. Uh, then I was looking at another situation where there had to be another major assessment. Our dues at this point were above average for the area, and more of our members were complaining. We're, we had kind of a dues strike. We were over 100 members that uh, didn't, didn't pay their dues. Uh, we had a series of lawsuits going on, which were not popular. And uh, that also takes time because the courts don't act quickly. And as things were going on, I kept getting calls from my CFO uh, that we weren't going to make payroll. And I knew we had some problems. And Peter and I then started talking. Uh, we were talking with another individual at the same time. And uh, I always liked Peter. He was straightforward, 
uh, was willing to offer us a solution. And it took time. And as, as Paul said, then we, when we brought it to the members, uh, we wound up having, I think the vote was 420 to 13. Uh, 13 members, and I actually, we actually know who they are. They were, the, they were the loudest ones, the biggest complainers, who voted not to do the deal. Um, what they didn't know is if we didn't do the deal, and Pierre knew this, and Paul knew this, uh, we probably wouldn't be around today. Uh, because we lost full cooperation in the bank, and they're ready to jump on and call our loans, uh, which was well, a... Well, uh, Jeff, Jeff, let me break in here. Um, Anytime. One of the things we tried to do, because Jeff talked about our relationship with the bank, was we found a different bank, um, one that would uh, deal with us. Um, I think a, another name for that bank would be Loan Shark. Um <laughs> The deal they gave us that, that, uh, was a really, really good deal for them. Um, so we, even though uh, uh, you know, finding capital for a country club or or loan in today's world is not easy. Um, and and if you do, uh, you're going to pay uh, unbelievable rates and. And, and give up a lot of what you wanted to keep in the first place. If you don't mind me jumping in here, just wind back the clock a little bit. So you guys are in Lake Worth, Florida. Just a little bit of a picture of the community itself. Just let's get the context for the club. How many homes, okay. how many subdivisions? Uh, what are we talking about in terms of the Fountains community? Well, we have about 1,700 homes and, and 19 subdivisions. And Peter, as you have learned, that's our other problem. Uh, the way the owner set up the, our property here, uh, the country club wasn't in charge of all the subdivisions, and we had another di another division set up called the FCO Fountains Fountains Condo Operations. I think it's called Paul. And uh, we didn't get along. Yeah. We, we didn't get along. Uh, they were using our property. We're not maintaining our property. And we had another legal thing with them. Our, our legal bills were, were getting higher and higher every month, uh, where we had to go to arbitration. And the arbitration process also is not quick. Uh, we eventually won the arbitration after we closed the deal with with uh, the concert, uh, whatever that you know it was like a uh, it was a nice victory, but it didn't mean much. But they just uh, they were another reason we were having trouble moving forward because they were they were preventing us from getting members. And you need yep. membership to survive. All right, so this is yeah. Peter again. Let, let me ask. Uh, let's just recap because the number of issues that you guys were facing at the fountains uh, is broader than, than a lot of other clubs. I mean, there's a lot you have in common with other clubs we meet, but I would say the list of issues you had was probably longer than most. So one, your HOA situation with the club was not cordial, and you were in litigation and then arbitration over that. Number two, you had... Uh, a bank lender issue with with your bank. Let, let, let's let's pull that one apart because most clubs have borrowed some money from a local bank to do improvements and things. What what was the origin of the club doing borrowings? When did you do it? What were the funds used for? How much money did you borrow? We had two basic loans with the bank. One was a, a thirteen million dollar loan that we used for a renovation. Uh, for our clubhouse and and fitness center in about 2008, um, and that was a uh, 
a fixed rate loan that we fixed the rate using a swap. Um, but we fixed the rate at 6.65%. And uh, as you all know, the interest rate has, has never been close to that um, over the years. So we basically fixed the rate uh, at a higher rate than we should have been paying. The, the second loan was a, started out as a $2.5 million uh, line of credit um, and, and got reduced to $2 million. Uh, what, happened what was the money with, for? What did you use the money well, for? Well, here, this is the bad part. Uh, um, it, a line of credit is supposed to be used temporarily for when, uh, when you have short-term cash needs. For example, if you have a hurricane in the summer and you need to clean up, you use a line of credit. Um, if you think about our line of credit, since we collect all our dues at the beginning of the year, um, and we have a zero balance budget, uh, we should never need a, any kind of credit except for short-term needs. The problem was our previous boards used the line of credit to make up for shortfalls in, in operating expenses or capital needs that weren't collected for. So we wound up basically having a, a $2 million line of credit that was basically fixed. Um, because we weren't collecting money for it, but we, we maxed it out. And uh, in last July, we, we maxed out our line of credit, and we still had our, a good portion of the $13 million loan, and the bank got uh, uh, very nervous uh, because of our, uh, of our bad debt write-off because people weren't paying their dues. And uh, they started reneging on uh, a lot of what they told us and sent us emails saying they would do, uh, saying that that was not, uh, not legal and not, uh, not right. So that's when we started to have real issues was July of last year. Okay. So this is Peter again. I'll, I'm just playing quarterback here. So you've got challenges with the HOA. You've got your bank. Uh, becoming more difficult, and then you mentioned you had 54 holes. Didn't really need 54 holes. Tell me about the process around the club or around the board table of making the decision to close down 18 of your holes and try to, I understand, recapture some cash from that in order to fix some of your other problems. How did that start, and how did that go? Uh I actually, Paul was president at the time, and I actually had me chair that committee. Uh, so we were both we both did it together. It was a very tough process because the course we closed was our North Golf Course, and uh, we all liked it. It was the course uh, pros used when they came here, uh, but we just decided that uh, if, if we're going to close the course, that was one we should be looking at because most of our members live on the south where the two courses are. But we went through the process. We went through the numbers. And it wasn't so much fitted to, to save money. We wound up taking the, the dollars we were saving on that course and reinvesting in our other two golf courses. Because what was happening to our budget over the years is the, they kept, we kept neglecting our golf courses. 
they we were never putting any money into the golf courses. Our average uh, per hole, I think when we did a survey with the other courses in Palm Beach County, we were below average what we were spending, and our, our course looked like it. So by closing down that course, reallocating those funds, the other two courses, we were able to bring up, give our greenskeeper the money he needed to bring it to a the proper level. Uh, and then we would have that land available to uh, to sell to a developer. And uh, we we had no lack of developers come in to give us bidding for that land because this, this is a very popular area for building right now. So that was the process. The process wasn't so much to save money, it was to reallocate the funds. All right, so then you went out to local real estate developers to try to buy that land and and national real estate developers yeah nationals and so what happened there in a short summary well you took you can take care of that one you you handle those yeah i can get in uh we actually got uh what we figured was a, a a pretty good price for approximately nine holes of land on our north golf course um and we validated that by getting a an appraisal uh, from a, a, a company that does golf course appraisals. Uh, we went to the members and and basically we had a, a plan that we thought was very good. We would uh, we close the north course. We'd sell approximately nine holes, leaving nine holes available for development in the future. Uh, we would get, in that case, uh, the deal was for $17 million. The developer uh, decided to, uh, uh, <laughs> they were going to build uh, apartments on one piece of the land and, and single-family homes on the other. Um, we had a deal where the single-family homes would automatically become uh, uh, members of the Fountains Country Club. Uh, for a sports membership. Um, there was quite a lot good about the deal, and we took this to the members, and, and they voted overwhelmingly for the deal. Uh, probably the, the the cadre of members that voted against it were the ones that were, uh, were going to have their golf course views uh, uh, be homes and apartments. Um, but it was still an overwhelmingly uh, approved idea. The problem was in in the in the uh, getting that deal going. First of all, Palm Beach County is not very easy to get approval on anything. Uh, particularly, we had a hard time getting approval for the uh, from the Palm Beach County Water Utility. Uh, with uh, it took us. Uh, 18 months to get final approval and part of the final approval was we had to uh, build another lake if you will to replace the lake the holding pond that was going away that, that cost us six hundred thousand dollars that we didn't have um, yeah. so so while the deal was working and going through if we were better capitalized we could have overcome. Um, we wound up uh, sinking us further into into the hole, uh, which is where the, the deal with concert came in. Concert has the money; they can they can handle that kind of thing that we couldn't uh, because of the, this 
various state that we were in financially. Yeah, yeah. So good, good segue into you're, you're you're juggling about four or five balls, as I can tell. I'm trying to keep them all up in the air, just listening to you. <laughs> um, probably, and what's Peter, happening with membership? A dozen. <laughs> probably a dozen balls in the air. Uh, so, Gabe, you're listening, thinking this is one of the more complicated situations ever. So, what's happening with membership trends and sort of financial trends at a high level? The board is also managing at the same time we had a survival matter of fact when we as paul said we found out we needed money to, to build this lake and we didn't have the capital then we went to our partners at the bank had a very cordial had a great meeting with them at which point they said they'll give us everything we want and they were going to give us a loan to build the lake and and wouldn't it meet the loan itself would not have been due until we closed the real estate deal the word from the loan and i had a closing at an attorney's office on a, on a thursday at nine o'clock the final paperwork, and at five o'clock Wednesday, right before the closing, I get a, I get an email, not even a phone call, that the closing has been canceled, and that's when the other division of wealth, excuse me, the bank took over, and uh, basically pulled the loan out from under us. Uh, and uh, to more directly answer your question, Peter, what was happening was again the, the vicious circle, as uh, as our dues went up to try and cover our costs and the necessary costs for for the loan and everything else our membership dropped so as our membership dropped the the burden on each and individual member um became higher and higher which caused more members to have to drop because they couldn't afford it um and we had a lot of angry members oh yeah yeah believe me you You did not want to get up in front of these members. Jeff, did you ever want to get up in front of these guys? Uh, I didn't. Uh, uh, no, I, didn't I didn't have to uh, have meeting. Yes. Oh, I, I was witness to some of the dynamic. Wait, last issue that not every club deals with. You may, One of you mentioned the mandatory membership, and this is a big issue in the state of Florida. My understanding is you, the, the, the community did not start out back in the 60s or 70s as a mandatory membership community. You added it on in the early 2000s to support the club amenity. Let's make sure everyone has well, at least a social well, Peter, membership. In, right? in, the, in the club started after that, I knew about it then because I, I was a, uh, my in-laws lived here. And it was the exact opposite situation. There was a waiting list for members. They didn't need mandatory membership. Uh, wow. People, people, wanted to, people wanted to belong here. They, every house when the house sold, the house had a membership, and it went with it went with the house, and people were very upset if they couldn't couldn't join here. Uh, this was it was popular. They didn't need mandatory membership. Uh, mandatory membership really came in, Paul, if I'm not mistaken, because we wanted to go ahead and do this major improvement, and they wanted to make sure that we we had the members to pay the loan. That was the bank actually required it. Uh, no, that's a do. No, 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 no. No. Okay, I'm, I'm a little off there. Yeah, you're a little off. This, you're, you're right that the the bank relied on mandatory membership uh, for the revenue stream for the loan, but mandatory membership came in in 2003, and and back then it was very popular in Florida country clubs. Uh, if you think back to 2003, real estate was going crazy. Uh, especially Florida and Arizona. 
the prices were going higher and higher and higher. And each club saw mandatory membership as a way to do two things. One is to maintain a, a revenue stream into the future, which is what Jeff was talking about. But yeah. two, also to make certain that only people who could afford membership could belong and move into your community. So that was a, a, a two-pronged thing. And, uh, it, uh, and then what happened? So how, how well, did all this litigation start? Well, what, what happened was um, the fountains never instituted true mandatory membership. Their, their mandatory membership was when you can be what you want to be right now. So if, say, a me- uh, there was a person who was a member, he'd be a member. If the person who wasn't a member didn't have to be a member, he had to sell his, when he sold his home, he or she, they had to sell to a member. That was our form of mandatory membership. Well, what happened was in the, in the real estate crunch about 2008 or so, uh, with the mandatory, with the fact that people had to sell to, to members, um, nine courts, nine of our associations decided they wanted to get out of this mandatory membership deal. And to do that, they sued. The club didn't think they could uh, because of what they had in their in their bylaws and, and court documents. That went to a, a court suit. The nine nine communities sued the club to get out of mandatory membership. Uh, we had a trial. Uh, we basically the club lost. Um, we took it to appeal. The club lost then. So we, now we have nine courts, nine HOAs, who no longer have mandatory membership. Also, two others joined in the same thing, although they didn't sue us, but they also declared non-mandatory. So now we have a, 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 a mixed bag, if you will, of, of nine courts, nine HOAs, non-mandatory, uh, 10, we had 19 in total, 10 mandatory, and and people were now selling their homes to non-members. There were members who were selling their homes to non-members. We also had a, a very interesting issue where, where people who lived in a, in a, now a non-mandatory HOA, um, who were members sold their home to a to a, a non mandatory to a non member and moved into the south and remained uh, remained a member of the ten courts that were mandatory membership. So we lost membership that way. So that the that was kind of the, the beginning of the end of of uh, have, holding any any concept of having a stable membership. Okay, so let me try to summarize. This is Peter Gibb. You know, trying to keep all track of all this, you see what the board was dealing with. So what a mess! <laughs> what a mess! I'm what a enjoying, mess, right? I'm enjoying just listening to this. This is crazy. These, <laughs> these guys had the <laughs> hardest job of any board I've ever heard of. But we came in, <laughs> we agreed with the board to pay off all their debt from the bank, 
A little bit of negotiation there, but that happened pretty quickly. So now the club is debt-free. This happened in the spring. Uh, We agreed to take on this whole North Course real estate thing, which which is a lot of excess land, developers, home builders, approvals, a lot of money being spent with lawyers and engineers and all of that sort of stuff. That's going to take several years to work through that we have the time and the capital and the expertise to deal with. But when Jeff and Paul and their board were trying to juggle all this, pretty tough. A lot of money getting spent, a lot of time, a lot of turmoil. We got rid of the mandatory membership requirement in the remaining parts of the Fountains community. They had already successfully gotten rid of it at some parts of the community. So overnight, you did no longer had to be a member of the club. And because that extra expensive dues requirement was no longer a tax on you as a homeowner in the community, home prices in the community went up pretty dramatically. And the the realtors tell me that they were able to start selling homes like hotcakes again. So that was a big move. Then, as one of you guys said, we lowered the dues. They had crept up to the point where they were sort of out of the market pricing toward $20,000 a year, whereas the market pricing, you know, was probably somewhere in the 11, 12, 14,000 range. We reduced the dues. We settled all the litigation. There were 24 outstanding lawsuits, all but two or three of those are now gone. And, you know, when you look at the financials and the membership now, believe it or not, uh, you know, club has no debt. Uh, We've added you know, 50-plus members already to the club in different categories, and the club is profitable again, and we're off to the races. It's a long it's a long road, but I would say the, the turnaround in the past four months has been pretty dramatic. Well, what about the aftermath of all this, Paul and Jeff, uh, did I not well, well, explain? Well, well, the aftermath is basically, so far you've, uh, you've done what you said you're going to do, uh, we've got a lot of happy members here. Uh, you just, we just saw the entertainment schedule come out a couple weeks ago and people actually thought it was better than expected. Um, they're, well, still waiting to to some of the, they're still waiting to see some of the capital. I know it takes time to, uh, do the planning and get those things going. And I know things are in motion for some capital expenditures. Uh, our golf courses are in the best shape they've been in years. And, uh, I said, my membership's happy. Yeah, we've got drawings for the new swimming pool complex uh, that we're working through, and I think that's going to be the biggest win of all. But you're right, it takes some time to get that all approved by the county and and start putting that in place. Gabe, uh, you've heard a long saga here. What else uh, would be interesting to your listeners? Yeah, well, I I would just love to know, would you guys recommend Concert Golf, or would you recommend clubs go through a similar process if, if they've got some of these issues that you guys have faced? Well, I can tell you, going, going through the process, uh, we, did our, we did our due diligence. And the reason we did extra due diligence here is, uh, what, three and a half, four years ago, Paul, we got involved with Kemper. And, right. And we thought I, we, we did our due diligence there, and uh, we brought in a management company. And that kind of was the start of our downfall, I think. Uh, Kemper's got a great reputation on managing golf courses, but I don't think they can ma- ever manage a property like ours. And they never really understood who we were. So before we got involved in this deal, and we didn't want to be another camper, the board set out, and we actually visited, I'm going to say, seven or eight of your properties, Peter, 
uh, to get hands yep, on of what, of what they've done. And we felt very comfortable. There wasn't one property we went to where we got bad reviews. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, when I look back now, I mean, this is my first conference call I've had in a long time where Paul and I basically lived on the telephone, conference calls, meetings, our board meetings were, uh, as you can tell by all the issues we had going, were never smooth. Uh, we, for the last, what, three to four years, Paul, we've been having fun like that. Uh, and then when we had to have meetings with our members, which we try to keep them informed, there was always that group of members that uh, didn't make it a comfortable day. And then Paul and I had to go for cocktails afterwards to, uh, <laughs> to relax. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Jeff, I got one last question for you. Um, if you've got one yeah. one lesson, one takeaway that you could share with our listeners um, that would be valuable, what would that be? What we learned, and we knew this, over the last four or five years, members do not know how to run a country club. Uh, and unless you've got a powerful general manager who, who takes control, uh, we had general managers who basically listened to a lot of the board members and, mem- and our members, and we're trying to make everybody happy. Uh, concert runs country clubs. And to get somebody in here who can run a club properly and free those of us who were uh, volunteers working full-time, uh, it's a great feeling. And it's a, it's a great way to go. Thank you guys so much for joining me on Private Club Radio. This edition of Board Chats, really enjoyed it. It's a different one, but to pull back the curtain and to see the different issues you had and, and how it all played out, that was really fascinating. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Hope you have a good one. Thanks for joining me here on Private Club Radio. Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Thank you, guys. That was terrific. All right, thank you, Gabe. Well, I hope you enjoyed that peek behind the curtain this week. Always fascinating for me to find out what happens inside these boardrooms and to really get into the psychology and the different challenges that are at play. I think that's really incredible, really special. You only get that here on Private Club Radio. I'll catch you back here next week. Until then, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process 